Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, Kim Barrett. And on today's episode, we are joined by the legend, Mr. Mike Michalowicz. Uh, now, Mike is a author. He is uh, you know, probably one of my favorite authors. Some of my early books that I read, uh, Profit First, Clockwork, uh, and a new book that he's got as well, My Money Bunnies, Money Management for Kids. Uh, so we touch on all these topics and more. And as well, we look at what are some of the early opportunities now for small business owners in, you know, in this new era that we have been going through for the last couple of years, these changes, what are some of the opportunities there that maybe you need to look at and assess for yourself to see how you can help your business win. And of course, we can help your business win from a marketing perspective. Just head over to our Facebook group, free Facebook group, uh, www.joinmygroup.com.au. You can head over there where we have everything that you need. But until then, let's jump into the show. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate you making the time. Oh, it's a, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's great. And now I normally start a podcast off the same way every time, which is I like to ask the question, Mike, if I met you at a party and you and I were just chatting back and forth and I said, what is it that you actually do? What's your go-to answer? <laughs> One word. I'm an Well, a phrase. I'm an author. And uh, that's usually what I say. I, in the, I think that's significant because I used to say, I'm a business owner who writes books or something like that. And it's confusing. I'm an author. I'm an author of predominantly business books for small business owners. I love that. And look, I have to say, I am, I was very excited we could get you on because you're one of your first books that I ever read, Profit First. Oh, I love was, seeing that. Was, it was a huge favorite of mine. And pretty much every single one of my clients, when they come on, uh, they're all small business owners. And they're like, what Like, what are some good books that we should read? I was like... Just go go read everything Mike has. It's uh, thanks, it's mate. I, I I really appreciate that. <laughs> and I'd love to go like a little bit of backstory for people if maybe they haven't um, heard of those books or, or seen any of those before. What kind of took you? As you said, you were a business owner who wrote books, and now you know, yeah, fully fledged author from that perspective. What kind of took you down that route? So I, uh, I I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. After I graduated from university, I thought I'd have one dream job that would carry me for my life. And uh, that didn't happen. Instead, I worked at a local computer store. And uh, I just, I remember seeing the owner in the back room and my vision was he was smoking cigars and counting money while I was doing all the work out front trying to sell stuff. I was like, oh, why don't I start my own business? I want to be in the back room counting money. Well, I did uh, start the business. I was not in the back room counting money. I don't think he was either. He was sweating how he's going to pay bills. It wasn't collecting. It was putting money out. And I really learned trial by fire how difficult entrepreneurship was early on, but I also fell in love with it. So I, I built that company. It was never profitable. It was never healthy, but it achieved millions in revenue in the US. And, and uh, I subsequently sold it to private equity and I made some money and I did it again in another industry in computer crime investigation. And that sold for that company sold for millions. And I was like, oh my God, I got this figured out. That became the downfall of me. I thought I was a genius. I was totally cocky. I started another business as an angel investor and I lost everything. And uh, that was my wake-up call. As a result, I lost our home. I lost our possessions, our cars, uh, everything. And that became the calling to turn things around. In fact, I write about it in one of my books. I had to face my children and say that we're, we're broke because of me. And my daughter, she ran out of the room to grab her piggy bank and she ran back and she put it in front of me and said, Daddy, 
I'll start supporting us because you can't. And my God, I was so ashamed of myself and proud of her. It also became a wake-up call that I didn't understand the essence of what makes an entrepreneur successful. That became the start of being an author. And just it wasn't like the next day I'm like, oh, I'll be an author and be successful. I started drinking a lot. I, I went through depression, but I did start documenting things and I realized profit isn't something that just magically appears if you keep growing. You have to make it into a habit. I realized that business doesn't just start running itself. You have to be able to start delegating. And uh, all these things I started discovering, I started documenting for myself to fix my own problems with businesses and help other people today. So for the last 15 years, I'm, I've been an author trying to codify what makes entrepreneurship successful. I'm, I'm very lucky. I, I am a shareholder in six businesses too. So these aren't things I just document. These are businesses I'm running too, and we're trying things out. And if it works, document it, share it. That's my strategy. <laughs> And what was the, I mean, especially on the um, financial side, as you mentioned there, because I think a lot of times when, when we're younger, as you said, you go through school and then maybe you go and work for someone and you're like, oh, it's like, sure, well, these business guys, they just have all this money that they're making uh, and it's easy for them, you know, and like, we're just out here as the, the peons doing the work when it's yeah. in reality, it's not the case. What were some of the things that, especially I think in that, um, as I said, because the Profit First was probably very, like one of my, like all, all your books are great, but that was one that really clicked for me. Thank I was you. like, I have to kind it's of wonderful. do some things differently because I think when, like literally when I was reading it, I was like, does Mike have cameras in my office? Like, <laughs> how did yeah, he yeah. all this stuff? It was like, it was, yeah. it was so bang on that. What was some, how did you come to some of the realizations in, especially from that side of things? Yeah. So the aha, when it came to profit first specifically was I was um, looking at the standard formula for income. It's your turnover or sales minus expenses equals profit. And um, I was looking at that and I'm like, this is kind of weird because every entrepreneur I've ever met wants to be profitable. That's actually why most was getting a business to be financially free, but very few achieve it. And I'm like, what's wrong with us? Why can't I do that? Like, what's wrong? And I was looking at this formula, like what's wrong with us? And I was like, oh my God, it's not us. It's the formula. That formula tells us that profit comes last. And while it makes logical sense, like a mathematical equation, it doesn't fit human nature. Human nature is when something comes last, it gets deferred. When something comes first, it gets done. And in that formula, we're told profit comes last. It's the bottom line. It's the final take. It's the year end. All those things mean, don't worry about it now, maybe one day. And that's how most businesses are run. And so it's check to check living forever. So I'm like, what if I just flip the formula? And that's literally what I did. I applied the pay yourself first principle to my business. And what I started doing the next morning was when a little bit of money tripled, uh, trickled in, I took a portion of it as profit first and hid it for myself and did that again and again. And I'm like, oh, I, I'm not missing that. I don't even know how much it is. I have it at a different bank and I'm running my business off what I have. And then one day I look at that second bank, I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of money there. And that became the inception. I, I started writing about it. I, I used to write for the Wall Street Journal, so I wrote an article for it. And hands down, it was the most popular article. People are texting me and emailing me saying, I, I tried that thing. Oh my gosh, it works. It's like, this has to be a book. Today, I think we have over 600,000 companies. I shouldn't say I think. I know we have over 600,000 companies that have deployed it globally. It's it's in Australia, it's in the US, and it's everywhere in between. And I think it, that was, I remember when I read it and I was going through it and it did make so much sense. And I think as well, because as entrepreneurs and business owners, we always, we kind of have to be like glass half full type of people really to make things work. So you're like, well, I've got all this money here, even though I know I've got to save profit and whatnot. But if I just go and like invest or do more advertising yeah. or marketing or do this, um, surely as a business owner who's good and doing good things, it's going to increase. 
Uh, and then you get to the end of the day and you're like, oh, well, yeah, there, there isn't any, uh, any, any profit left or anything. So I remember I went straight away, created those accounts, hid them. I created one and called it the government's money. Brackets, nice, not you did my, that. Good. Not, Good. not your money. And I was like, oh. Every time I look at it, I was like, I can't take it. That's the government's money. Like, that's I'm not allowed to have that. And it hit that, I use profile. the exact same phrasing. <laughs> and it's painful yeah. to see that. But I'll tell you what's interesting is I have people email me. I am so fortunate. Like, literally by the hour, I get multiple emails from people reading Prop First from everywhere and, and how they've implemented it. And what surprised me is the most frequent time I get emails is during the tax season. So in the US, it's in April. In Australia, it's a different month, but it's during those periods of time that people email and say, I can't believe this, but my business is paying taxes for me. They're celebrating it. And the reason that happens, uh, it was intentional. I just didn't expect people to be so excited about it, is there's behavioral principles throughout the book. So the first one is if something's hidden from us, uh, we won't be tempted by it. So you do try to hide your money from yourself. Another one is what you do first gets done. So if you take your profit first, you're assuring profitability. But another principle is the concept of, of ownership. When we possess something, we put more value in it. And the problem with taxes is if I gave you, say, $50, like I just see in the stream, hey, here's $50. That's like, that feels good. But if I said, here's $50, oh, and I need 20 back right now, it's like, what? You just got money, but now I'm taking some back. But if I just gave you $30 on the street and said, here's $30, and that's it, and you walk away, it feels good again. Now, in both situations, it's the exact same dollar amount. But I am taking back possession of something you temporarily owned. I gave you $50, you possessed it, and I took it back. That's what happens with taxes. We earn this income, and then the day comes, the government's like, well, give me my portion. And it's like, what? You're taking from me. But if the business already reserves that money, you never take ownership over it. You just get your pay. When that tax time comes, you never felt ownership. It's like, yeah, the company's got it. And it's cool because you don't have to worry about it ever again. So that's another kind of behavioral phenomenon that happens. And that, that was it, definitely. I remember, I think I, I read it after the, my first year in business. At the end of the first year, I got my first like tax bill and GST. We have it here in Australia as yeah, well. And yeah. I was like, what do you like? What do you mean? Like, I don't have that much. Like, what, where is this money meant to come from? I was like, this is so stressful. Then I was like, oh, cool. I found this. And I was like, oh, great. Like, I'm doing all of these hide. My manager, I was like, hide everything from me. I didn't want to know what's in the account to spend because otherwise I'm going to go too crazy. And it's definitely been a big, uh, a big factor for me going forward, making sure, and then all of my clients are the same. I'm like, hey, guys, do this. Like, it's magic. I love it. I love it. Thanks for spreading yeah. the word. No, of course, a pleasure. And then I love love to touch on because obviously that's like really like money management for business owners and really sure. for adults on how to do things. And now you've just got a new book as well, which I got for my niece for her first um, first ever Christmas. Uh, <laughs> Thank my you. Money- my money bunnies, the money management yeah. for kids. Everyone's like, all my other family, they got like Beatrice Potter and all these like nice like books. And I was yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm giving her money bunnies. This is a money bunnies. Uh, <laughs> I hope it becomes her one years old. <laughs> What's that? How did that come about? Like, tell us a little bit of the story of that one. Yeah. So, well, I, I have three children my, uh, of my own. I mean, they're all grown and adults now, but um, we did certain things in our home that I thought were normal, but n- maybe weren't. Like we never gave allowances to any of our children. You you had a worksheet that you could sign up to do work for the week and make money. And if you chose not to do it, fine. And what I also heard from many parents too is the wish for better education around money. And I don't think there's, there's a lack of education around money. I think it's just overwhelming. As a child, you're told when you're exposed to money, it's like somehow you made it and now you got to spend it. And what do you do with it? And then you start hearing these different things and it's very confusing. So I wanted to get to the core essence of, of money management, and I wanted to make it fun so that when a kid does this, 
they understand the most important principle of all. And uh, this is something that they'll want to do for hopefully their life. And maybe when they're adults, they're not going to have little jars, maybe like bunnies, but but they'll have that principle. Maybe they'll do it at their bank account. The, the system is, uh, it's when money comes in, and this is not something I created. This system has been around forever. It's when money comes in, first allocate it to its intended use before you spend a dime. Money comes to your bank, split it up into profit and other accounts so you know what you're going to use it for. But when a child makes money, what we do now is that money goes into one of three jars. It gets split up, I should say, amongst three jars. The first jar is called the anytime bunny. And what's important about this is all humans, regardless if we're one years old or 100 years old or somewhere in between, we like to get a reward. And we see something that's really intriguing to us. We like the ability to say, I can now possess that if I choose to. Now, without pre-allocating money, most of us, when we see something like, oh, I have just enough and we spend it and there's no money left for anything else. And that becomes the problem. So we still need that reward, but it needs to be throttled or controlled. So the first jar, which is the smallest jar, it's called the anytime bunny. And the idea is when you have money, you divide it up and the anytime bunny, uh, when you see something you desire, if there's money in there, you can get it. The second jar is called the one-time bunny. And the idea behind this is uh, every so often, one time this year or one time in our life or whatever, I want to have, or I want to experience that jar is for that longer term savings for that monumental moment or thing or whatever it may be. In the story, or a girl who wants to get an art supply kit, which costs some money and uh, she needs to save for that. Uh, but you know, as she's moving along, occasionally she wants a lollipop or ice cream. She can get that with the anytime money. The last jar, which is the biggest is called the sometimes money. And the sometimes money is sometimes in life, we run into other people in circumstances where they need help. Sometimes we're called upon to contribute, maybe to our own family or to others. Sometimes we need to be there. And the best way to be there is, is to have the, the influence of money. So the sometimes money is the biggest jar. And what, it, what I'm trying to help depart with children is the joy we get out of contribution. I would say one of the most joyous things I get is, uh, is contributing to others and, um, and of being service to others. The funny thing is there's no return. It's not an investment, but it's definitely a return in joy. When, when you see others are empowered because, because you prepared for them or to help them. And, uh, and that, I think, starts a good upward spiral for our society. So I hope with this project, and, and, and I had some now parents emailing pictures of kids doing this, that's something that they, they learn these basic principles, have a, a blast doing it. And as they get older, they deploy their own version of the system. And as you mentioned that, <clears throat> like when, you're, uh, when people were younger, obviously there's information out there. Why do you think that... It- like simple principles like these are kind of like almost like missed over or, or kind of skipped with the with the younger generation. Because as you say, sometimes it's like even parents were like, oh, well, uh, I don't even like to talk to my kids about money. Um, yeah. And things like yeah. that. I think sometimes um, the reason simple stuff gets skipped, I mean, this is because it's too simple. It's like, oh, it's too obvious. Anyone knows that. And I'm not saying parents feel that way about their children, but but sometimes as adults, we skip things because it's like, oh, that, everyone knows that when, when no one really knows it. I think the other thing is, uh, yeah, money is a touchy subject because it, it, as adults, it becomes a signal of power and strength. And um, and we we definitely leverage it for posturing and positioning. And so I think we're afraid to introduce children to that because we don't want them to lose their innocence. And also, money's never been like, I never had an experience growing up where it was a fun subject. It was necessary. It was important. I wanted to have lots of money to be powerful or do what I want to do, but it was never a fun subject. It was never like a, an experience. And so 
my hope is that this is something that a parent will want to do their child or a grandparent with, with a grandchild or someone that's in the family and says, hey, let's have a fun, crafty project. There's something else also important. When we create the system, in this case, when we create the bunnies, there's a sense of ownership on that. Something we talked about earlier. That's something we want to possess. If you're gifted uh, a piggy bank or something else, that's nice. But when you create something, you give life to something, there's even more meaning to it in many cases. And that's why I wanted to encourage adults to to work with children as, as a craft because now they they have more meaning in that. And then as they see the money bunny grow, as they add money to it, I think it's even more compelling. I love that. And obviously being that you are an author and you have written so many books and I've had all these, I've had probably a hundred different ideas on writing books and then sat down and been like, mm, that's too hard. How do you <laughs> <call it> <laughs> <out>? <laughs> what, what is your process for going through that and being able to kind of extract that knowledge so that you can share these topics that are you know super valuable for people once they actually can able to get those thoughts from your head onto paper? Yes. Like, like you, mate, I have a hundred ideas too. And they're all <laughs> piled up. So that is kind of the first instruction set I have for myself is I save and collect every idea that comes to me. Um, And I likely will never use most of them, but some of them I will. The other thing is I do have a daily discipline. Um, So every morning from 5.30 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. It's the first thing I do because it's the most important work is I write, um, I work on my books. And and that's what I call off-season, meaning if I don't have a publishing deadline, my publisher and I'm just preparing for the next book. It's just keep that pulse going kind of like on a jog level. When I'm in season, me, I'm writing for my publisher and have deadlines. Now it becomes much more of a marathon or sprint. I, I speed things up. I'm constantly writing. I would say 99.9% of the stuff I write gets tossed in the garbage. I, I was writing, it's funny. I was writing this morning. And it's like, this is the worst literature ever written by a human. I just pulled off the worst literature ever. But maybe there's one line from the from the thousand words or so that I wrote that I can just extract that one piece and, and put it in. So it's, it's just that constant discipline of writing. And I do that five days a week. I take the weekends off, but Friday, Monday through Friday, that's my discipline. I love that. And obviously being, you know, if you, once you, uh, you change your positioning to being a proper author, I suppose you've got to, you know, you've, you've got to double down on that and make sure that uh, you keep up, keep up the skill. Oh, yeah. yeah. Business, Actually, business I'll show you, this is my... This is my home office and I can swing my camera around over there. That's my writing wall. You can't really see it well, but that's the instruction set I have for myself for working on my books. And uh, to your point, you know, when you asked me, you know, what do I go by or, or how would I introduce myself? When I first wrote my first book, I, I was like, I'm an entrepreneur who wrote a book. I didn't have the discipline. The day I, I declared I'm an author and, and the entrepreneurial part is nice, but that is a secondary component to writing about entrepreneurship. That's when the discipline set in. To, to live, I think we all live up to the identity or titles we give ourselves. And that was very a very important shift for me. I, I love that. And so being that you're obviously a lot of your writing is for entrepreneurs and it's for business owners, do you see anything different after the last couple of years that we've had and, and going into 2022 and onwards? Do you see anything different in the entrepreneurial landscape that people need to kind of adapt towards or yeah, yeah. towards um, after yeah. everything that's kind of gone on? Yeah, my gosh. And and it doesn't seem to be ending anytime soon. But what I did notice is the customer's expectation has permanently shifted. And the businesses that are responding to that are doing well. You know, the the one obvious thing is restaurants. In the little community I live, there's uh, there's some restaurants and they were eat-in restaurants. When the COVID pandemic hit, they became takeout restaurants where you pick up the food and so forth. But the smart ones did something even better. 
what they started doing is they closed their dining areas completely and just went all in on the kitchen. Some of them started doing cooking classes because, you know, so many more people are homebound. They said, hey, you want to learn how to make our favorite recipe? Pay us $100 uh, or whatever the number is, and we'll do three Zoom sessions with you and the community teaching you how to make these meals. It's like, oh my gosh, that's wickedly smart. Very few did that, but the smart ones did. Another one teamed up with a food truck. They didn't have a delivery system. People had to come pick it up. They got a food truck and the food truck can stack 50, maybe 100 meals. Now what they can do is you can order and you can say, I want my meal delivered at at six this this evening. Um, and they deliver it hot and it's there. And at 605, they're at the next residence and it's hot and it's there. And they can stack up these deliveries and roll them out like super quickly. I think those businesses are going to thrive now because the customer has a new expectation. I don't think I, as a consumer, can go back and say, you know, I just want to, let's, I want to always eat dining at restaurants. I love the fact I can do a cooking class in my kitchen. I love the fact that I can get a really incredible meal and, and dine here at my house with my family. And um, I couldn't do that before. So, so that expectation is there. I think we, as business owners, regardless of the industry in, we're in, have to be really acutely aware of the new expectation from our customer base. How are they behaving differently? How's their vantage point different? And then really lean into that. And, and that's the opportunity. I think I wholeheartedly agree. We've seen very, we've probably been the least affected, I would say, in the world here in Australia, but businesses definitely have been affected from the, the change of, of how consumers are operating. So it's um, a, totally. a way. Yeah. Totally. And um, now, Mike, I, I could probably sit here and chat to you all day, but I want to make sure I stay on time here. Uh, I like to ask the same question at the end of every podcast as we get towards the end of our time together, which is, is there a question which I haven't asked you that I should have? No, there's not a question you should have asked, but but there is something I feel compelled to share, if that's okay. Please, yeah. it's about okay. It's about the shift for small business. Like how is small business not changing in its in it as a service entity or as a as a product producer, but how is it shifting the economy? Like how is the economy shifting? And this is what I found fascinating is along with the changes we just talked about with the customer's expectation, the old models. Uh, I see are collapsing in certain areas. Here in the US, these mega malls were so popular and they are seemingly crumbling compared to what they used to be. Um, but what's taking over then is you have these juggernaut players, the Amazons of the world, who are trying to lap up all that business. But the, what I'm noticing is customers also want the, the tactile experience. They liked going to the mall or whatever it was. They want that tactile experience. So there's this, I think it's, it's this great battle now. It's it's who's going to be, who's going to have more fortitude in exposing what they have to prospects and winning them over. So I, I think we're in this kind of wild west as as the, the Amazons of the world try to assert themselves, but the small businesses have the opportunity. I used to say that small business uh, is the backbone of the economy. And, and I actually regret ever saying that because that's wrong. Small business is not the backbone of the economy. Small business is the economy. Traditionally, it's been small business that's determined the outcome of the entire economy. So this is becoming a call to arms. We, the small business owners, have to step up. Otherwise, it's going to be this, this kind of pay-per-click, kind of callous, cold, transactional type of environment where it used to be transformational and experiential. And I think I think the opportunity still exists, but we as small business have to define the economy that way. And we have a responsibility to step up. It's not for us as small business owners just about how much we make. And we got to make money. You have to be profitable. That's your sustainability. But your profitability, wherever you are on this planet, is contributing to the global economy. We need Perth to crush it here in the U.S. And Perth needs uh, you know, New York, where I am, to crush it. 
to, to reciprocate. So it's time for small business to step up. I love that. I think that's a, uh, a great uh, note to end on there. And thank you so much for sharing that, Mike. Now, if anyone's been listening to us today and they go, like, I like the sounds of what Mike's up to and want to yeah. you know, find more about your books and things like that, where's the best place for them to connect online to find out more? The best place to go is MikeMotorbike.com. And uh, the reason is Mike Michalowicz, my name is possible to spell, but Mike Motorbike goes to me, uh, a nickname from high school. I never had a motorcycle, by the way. It's just a little rhyme. And I had other nicknames, but they're not PG. So I have to say Mike Motorbike. If you go to MikeMotorbike.com, uh, all my books are there, free downloads, the chapters. I also used to be an author for or a columnist for the Wall Street Journal. You can get those articles for free. Um, all at MikeMotorbike.com. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So guys, wherever you're watching or listening to this, check the uh, notes above or below. We'll have uh, a link to Mike there so you guys can go and find out more about what he's up to. And if you know someone who maybe is a parent or a business owner, entrepreneur, small business, please share this episode with them. Uh, let them hear a little bit from Mike and what he's up to because I think it's uh, super powerful and something that everyone uh, needs to understand and have more clarity on in their businesses and lives. So Mike, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. I truly appreciate it. Thank you, mate. I appreciate you. Thank you.